On this episode of DLN Extend, we discuss criticisms from episode 56 when we talked about free software versus open source. This episode of DLN Extend is brought to you by DigitalOcean and Bitwarden. Welcome to episode 59 of DLN Extend. DLN Extend is a community-powered podcast. We take conversations from the DLN community from places like the DLN Discourse Forums, Telegram Group, Discord Server, and more. We also take topics from other shows around the network and give our takes. With me today are my two co-hosts of this extremely fun podcast, Wendy, the Grand Marshal of all things photography on the Destination Linux Network, and Matt, the kingpin of pushing gaming, especially on Linux. How are you guys? Doing fantastic. Always doing good, for the most part. (laughs) Yeah, so I'd say, what are you up to? But looks like we have to get right into the topic because I guess we ruffled a few feathers on episode 56. I do kind of blame you on this one, Matt. Shock, surprise, whatever. Although I think I'm the one that suggested the topic, but I'm still going to blame you anyway. (laughs) I'm used to being blamed by you, Nate. It's all good. Yeah, it definitely seems like we ruffled a few feathers on this one, though. But it's nice to get some community feedback. I didn't get any directed at me negative feedback, but it looks like chat on the YouTube video and the DLN Telegram group and more talk during the May 22nd live recording of This Week in Linux got some conversation going, which I think then does make that episode a success if we got a bunch of conversation. Yeah, the whole point of this show is conversation. Let's be honest. That's how we decide and pick and choose the topics we do. Let's have a conversation about it. The whole point of that particular episode was not to specifically talk free software foundation labeled software versus OSI labeled open source software. It was to simply make the delineation between how open source is a better term than free software because free software by the general non-computing audience, generally it relates to freeware. Right. And if you do not understand those differences in terminology, and freeware has a really bad association, not all, a vast majority of it is poor software or questionable software as far as what it may be doing in the background. Yeah, I would actually call it garbageware sometimes. Like when you get something for free, you assume it's the garbage, the trash people put by the side of the road and say free on it. Mm-hmm. And which is my problem with that term, free software, Personally, it's a convolution of terminology. It already has a very, very strong understanding of what free means. And I think people seem to not really understand that. I understand the philosophical discussion. I think that they lost that battle long ago. Right. Keep trying to push free software when it doesn't mean free in the way they want it to mean. Well, and we have to also recognize the fact that this show is directly related to our opinions on the different topics we're talking about. And that's one of the reasons why we want chat on these different things, especially in stuff like the terms of free software and open source. And we're even going to bring Libra into this whole discussion. It is not just how we we as a Linux community use it, but it's also how others outside of the Linux open source software community view these things as well. And that's one of the things that we hit on in that previous topic was our opinions on how it is viewed by the outside and not the strict definition put forth by a specific organization. Yeah. And so for those that would say that the conversation was naive or disingenuous or didn't know what we were talking about, we understand that there is a philosophical developmental difference based on the term that they prefer to use as opposed to the business model, which is open source. Really though, at the end of the day, you take everything away. 
you take all the philosophical minor discrepancies between the two terms. At the end of the day, it's about license choice. If you want the FSF approved kind of free software definition, you have to have a license that is strong copyleft. So they have generically based on their history. I'm not saying they don't offer other quote unquote free software licenses. They have a strong history of having a strong preference for GPL based software and the GPL license. That's their preference. That's fine. I would make the argument that honestly, if you want to talk about quote unquote free software, the BSD license is actually better. Controversial topic there. <gasps> you would never. I would argue that point because the problem with BSD is now people have taken it and run with it, you know, Mac OS, right? But how much have they given back to the community that actually started it? So I actually don't think BSD is a very good free license because it's a non-reciprocal license. Yes. It's like a bad relationship. Well, here's the thing though. While <laughs> it doesn't have the copyleft provisions, some people will view copyleft licensing of GPL. They would view that as a restriction. Yes. This is true. It is a restriction. One man's give back is another man's limitation kind of deal. I understand what you mean by that. But at the same time, there's a communal aspect, a respect aspect, I think, that is lost by those that just want to take advantage of somebody else, which I feel like the BSD license provides more being allowed to be taken advantage of. And so, yeah, is it freer? Sure, but it's not as respectful. But this was part of the problem with free software as a term in general, because then the average person is going to bring free unless they've read this seven page <laughs> article from the FSF describing exactly what free is. And if you need to have a seven page article describing exactly what the term free software is, how in the world is most of the general community going to know what that means? That is part of the problem with using oh, that not. term. Exactly. It's part of the problem with using that term. Philosophically, I get it. I will read the exact definition from them. The users have freedom to run, copy, distribute, study, change, and improve the software. That is the definition. And I get it. It's free as in freedom of speech, not free as in cost of it. But the term itself is so general that unless you read that article and know all of the nuances of how they describe it, you're apparently not using it correctly. Bad terminology for getting the information out there on the topic, in my opinion. So Nate, while we're arguing about example, the licensing, that's what it really all boils down to though. The terminology sure, difference is really licensing. Because if you look at the licensing on what is linkable to the GPL as opposed to what's not linkable to the GPL, go use like a Mozilla public license and certain parts of it aren't linkable to GPL-based software unless you use this weird provision. At the end of the day, we can get down and dirty into the nuances and the weeds. That is beyond the scope of the show, first of all, and that particular episode. We approach <laughs> this as everyday end users. We're not unknowledgeable of the actual core topic. It's just, quite frankly, I don't care. Yeah. What I care about is, at the end of the day, community, having a discussion, and sometimes the nuance and everything else that goes around a particular topic, like open source versus free. You have to look at the scope of it. Right. And what we were discussing is not the, within the scope of what you assumed it was. So that assumption is on you, not on the people that we're talking about why these terms are bad. I'll even say open source is a bad term. But out of the ones that we have, that at least gives some indication of what it is. I feel it does give it a better definition. So while it's still fairly vague, open source is vague because there are all of these different licenses that can then 
fit under open source. In part of this discussion, and Maiho has mentioned this several times, he actually prefers the term Libre software over open source in general. Here's my issue with using that term, because if you look that one up, you say, oh, okay, so that one means free. I feel like it still gets you back into the same situation of the term free software itself. I think both of those are flawed for that reason. You can relate that back to all of the mess that is inside the same (laughs) definition of just using the term free software. I understand where Michael comes from on that one because I kind of sort of agree with him, but I see what you're saying. You still have to look it up. It's a much easier step to go from- Brand association. Yeah. Libre to freedom as opposed to free to freedom. Those are kind of not the same, all the same root word. And then open source to freedom software is a bit of a greater jump, I think, going from libre to freedom. Libre as in freedom, because you can do that. It's a very quick way to express what they mean by software. Then you can go into the nuance of what freedom means, but people have an idea of what freedom means. It means the ability to to do with basically, yeah. to do what you ought to do with it, you know, as opposed to the software doing what it wants to do to you. And that's a very easy way to describe Libre, I think. Or I often say I choose Linux and open source software because it gives me freedom, my hardware, my computers, my technology. I always say freedom with. Yeah. That's how I like to describe it because it's a very short way to describe it. But I think you don't want to call it freedom software because then there are other challenges with that as well because freedom can mean a lot of other things to a lot of other people. It's an easy way to, I think, to get to what you mean When I say freedom, I don't mean in a political sense, I guess is what I'm getting at. Freedom to do what you ought to do. Keep it that simple. And then you can dig into the nuance. We already covered this. I'm going to kick that dead horse one more time, which is why I don't like the term free software. It's not a full understanding term. Open source software, I think, is close. You can explain open source software. And Libre, you can very easily draw that quick dotted line over to freedom. And that's what I mean by Libre. If you're explaining the two terms, you can tell someone what the definition is in according to software just as easily as you can explain what open source means. My complaint between the two is I'm not having a discussion with someone They're just randomly coming across those terms as they're doing their research, they're in a class, they're whatever. Those terms come up and in our world today, in the technology world today, especially with the addition of application stores on everyday devices that are all around, some of those you don't have to pay for. And one of the first things, as I described in episode 56, that most people will think of is, oh, that is free software. Free as in cost, not free as in freedom. Yeah, really, it does boil down to you. The FSF, they lost the PR battle. They lost that branding battle. Get over it. For sure. I'm just going to be 100% real right now. And you know, some people might like this opinion, some might not. And it's totally my opinion. I love what the SFF originally did. A lot of the licensing, a lot of that stuff. What have they done since GPL3? DigitalOcean is offering their app platform service, which is a solution to build modern cloud-native apps. With App Platform, you can build, deploy, and scale apps and static websites quickly and easily. Simply point your GitHub repository and let the App Platform do all the heavy lifting. It has support for many programming languages such as Node.js, Python, Go, PHP, Ruby, Plus, there's support for static sites, Docker, and container images. What are the other cool things that go with this DigitalOcean app platform service? High stability, zero infrastructure management, run code with little to no customizations. App platform uses cloud native standards and automatically analyzes your code creates containers, and runs them on Kubernetes clusters. As a DLN Extend listener and a member of the DLN community, you can get started for free 
actually better than free because DigitalOcean is giving you a $100 credit when you go to do.co slash DLN. Again, go to do.co slash DLN to get started with your $100 credit on DigitalOcean's app platform. We want to thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of DLN Extend. I actually think they should have stopped at GPL2. That's why the Linux kernel is still under GPL2, because Linus Torvald says the same thing. Not to derail the conversation, but I'm going to, so I apologize. (laughs) My issue with what has progressed since GPL2 is if you go start reading through the GPL3, it is a lot more complicated. It doesn't help the cause. It's more authoritarian in how it comes across. And also it has a lot more teeth to it, which I think teeth do scare people yeah. off. I'm fine with the teeth, the enforcement clauses and all that kind of stuff. I'm fine with that. What I'm not fine with is they talk about wanting to give the users freedom and all this other stuff, yet they have like these weird like tivization clauses and all these other stuff. Oh, well, they didn't have to contribute back there changes and all this other stuff. That was a limit of your license that they originally went with. Right. I'm almost going to ask, I haven't looked at it recently. How many projects are using V3? I know a good portion to use them, but like there's been a lot of different licenses being used. Last I heard report is GPL use is actually down compared to other licenses. Well, and this comes back to almost a side topic on a side topic. As the creator, you get to choose which license you use for the software you create. And then the user of that software gets to determine if they want to agree to that license or not. And I can come from that, the photographer directive, because the pictures that I put out, whether they're to a client or I'm sharing them with the community as a desktop image, there is a license attached to those. And most of the ones that I put out to the community, some of the landscape stuff that I do, though I'm sorry, it's been a while since I've had one to go out. I am working on that. Summer is coming. I will have a free to use, but a non-commercial clause. I do not want those used for businesses purposes. And I have very specific reasons why I don't want to. The community can use them, but they're not for commercial use. Specifically, when it comes to photos and art and music and that kind of stuff. The creative common stuff, like the licensing structure, at least makes sense. So when you see abbreviations, you can kind of get the idea. Right. They're very concise and to the point, whereas that was part of your problem with the GPL3 is it is convoluted and not precise and to the point. Exactly. To Nate's point, like it is convoluted. To me, it's almost limiting for a thing that wants to talk about being freedom and all the other stuff. Say what you want. Oh, well, it's limiting companies. Well, companies are filled with people. (laughs) The ideal thing about the GPL2 that I found is we wouldn't have a Linux community without the thing. Right. I totally agree. People want to talk about changes being contributed and stuff. That one clause is actually the biggest strength of it, and that's building a community. I think all other versions of it since then have not helped with that. I mean, you'll get contributors and stuff, but the scope of a project like the Linux kernel, I think is less likely to happen on a V3. Not saying it can't. I'm just saying I ain't seen nothing like the size of the Linux kernel on a uh, V3 license. The kernel license is version two entirely. I think there might be some BSD type provisions in there, but I could be wrong. I may have misread some things. Again, hence why I say V2 to me, in my opinion, is better because it actually builds out a community. While the give back clause can be seen as, you know, potentially limiting and stuff, it helps to make people want to contribute better. And a lot of that's based on the approach that 
places take. I mean, how many times have you heard about certain places suing places for not being GPL compliant as opposed to trying to get them to join the fold, which a lot of the time has happened. The kernel devs will be trying to get these guys into the fold. You'll get some enforcement, license enforcement group that, that ends up suing the people kernel guys are trying to work with. And it's like, well, that blew that up. Yeah, there's some cases in the past of such things happening, just driving people away from open source software or freedom software because of the litigious nature of some groups out there. It's better to attract people to culture than it is to drive them away by strict rules of the culture, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Well, I believe that the freedom, as I mentioned before, should be free all around. It should be not only the user, but the developer itself. And that's part of the problems that I have on the philosophical terms of the free software So reading directly from the article, in order for these freedoms to be real, they must be permanent and irrevocable as long as you do nothing wrong. If the developer of the software has the power to revoke the license or retroactively add restrictions to its terms without you doing anything wrong to give cause, the software is not free. Basically, this definition says that the developer itself, the creator of the software, has no freedom in changing the license, period. They're done. That's it. That's not freedom either. Yeah, that doesn't sound like freedom to me. I know we're going to get those. Well, you can get people to change the licensing by signing over the copyright. There's so much nuance and so much legalese kind of BS speech that goes into all these licenses at this point. My criticism of the people criticizing is that it doesn't matter what explanation we get. You will not be happy because we didn't approach it from your way. How dare you? How dare I You know, have a difference of opinion? We all will agree on this topic. It is a very volatile topic in which there are very strong feelings in a lot of different ways. I think bottom line, we all stand by exactly what we said in episode 56, that it's a poor term because outward facing, it just can mean so many different things. And the definition itself from the FSF is extremely convoluted in all of the restrictions that go beyond what its first definition states. Yeah, definitely. And that's why personally, if you just look at the two terms, open source is a better term. Mm -hmm. I'm not a fan of either, but if I'm going to choose FSF, you can keep your kind of, not going to lie, bad term because it has a bad preconceived notion attached to it. And I don't think in general that we will have a good term as a community until we have some of the larger overall advertising or name face value that some of these other operating systems or software types get. It's hard for either of these terms to be well understood if we're not getting the information out there. And I think in general, if we're putting that information out to the community, open source is an easier one to do. Well, see, that's the thing is even companies who aren't traditionally, shall we say, uh, the most open source friendly places, even when they've done keynotes and stuff and they're like, oh, we open sourced this piece of tech. We open sourced this. We open sourced that. So it's very much that term is very much in the culture of the technology field as a whole. I hate to break it to the free software guys, your term lost. Again, you can get into the licensing debate. The one that at the moment has won is open source. And some people might not like that, and that's okay. And you know, if they want to get down and dirty in the weeds about the philosophical differences between OSI definition of open source and the free software definition by the Free Software Foundation, have fun. At the end of the day, 
I don't care. It's open source. You lost. I like how they turned open source a noun into a verb, adjective noun into a verb. Open source. It's just fun for me. <laughs> I've watched Apple Keynotes where they say, it. you know, Microsoft Keynote. Bad companies like Facebook and Google use it all the time. It's part of the culture that is tech now. This is true. It's the same reason not always the best technologies went out. It's the one that gets noticed more and then you just have to roll with it and make the best of what you can with it. Well, in this case, I wouldn't say the best tech because free software is as a term in relation to perception of general computing people. Open source is still a better term. Well, actually. <laughs> yes, I didn't. Well, actually. <laughs> I don't want to make anybody mad. I think that there's a lack of let's talk about it as opposed to browbeating. Don't browbeat me into the pew. All right. Let's have a conversation about it. Maybe that's too extreme. That actually brings up one of the conversations we've had multiple times throughout this show that's kind of threaded through is being a good community member. And then you do have these sides that have such a strong opinion one way that there is no conversation. There is just this is the way it is mm -hmm. and this is why it should be instead of, okay, I totally get the philosophical. I understand where you're coming from. But the philosophical isn't the only thing that matters because we also have to live in the real world. So how can we merge the two? Right. You can't just start changing terms on things and expect people just to jump right. on board. The philosophical debate and all the other stuff, it's always going to be there. Some people are going to care about it. Some people aren't. The people that do, awesome. Keep putting up that fight, you know, whatever. That's your prerogative. I lean towards open source as the first solution, but I'm not against the proprietary stuff, free software stuff. My preferred preference. Right. Uh, so I live in the realistic, pragmatic end of the spectrum where it's like, eh, these are tools that need to get stuff done. If I'm not going to try to use the nail gun instead of the hammer. It'll work. I mean, until you break the nail gun. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but that is all part of your individual freedom, you choosing mm -hmm. which software you want to use and choosing which license agreements you'll comply with or that you'll agree to. That's all part of you having your very own choices. And that's part of the developer having their very own choices. Very much. It makes for a good negotiation, actually. It does. Yes, we understand there's nuance. We understand that there's philosophical and all debates and all the other stuff between two terms. Really, at the end of the day, boiled it down to one loss because it has a bad preconceived notion, the other one because it was its own thing. Yeah, I mean, you can keep calling it whatever you want. You can call it potato software for all you know. You can call it Bob. Yeah, call it Bob. That's your prerogative. <laughs> the issue is I have to be able to navigate the world too. In order to be able to compartmentalize and navigate things appropriately, I got to use terminology that all fits together. Right. I'm not against the philosophy behind free software as in freedom software, but I just don't think it's a good term. That's it. And I mm -hmm. think it is very hypocritical to say free software. And then as you're saying, this is freedom software, also putting restrictions on the developer. This episode of DLN Extend is brought to you by Bitwarden. Bitwarden is the passive manager we use and trust. It's the easiest, safest way for individuals, teams, businesses, and organizations to store their passwords and other vital sensitive information. Bitwarden lets you choose the authentication to access your password manager, such as PIN, master password, and adding phrases or fingerprint security, all to keep your passwords safe. Go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started for free. Bitwarden is a password manager that I use and trust because Bitwarden is 100% open source. It has extensive security audits. It gives you the ability to self-host if you so choose. So go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started for free. It's only $10 for a premium account, which gives you one gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F, Duo, Vault Health Reports, and more. Make the smart move like many from the community have 
and go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started for free. If you're like me, you'll want to show your appreciation by signing up for the premium edition, especially since the premium edition starts at only $10 annually. Bitwarden has saved me from getting into a serious jam numerous times. Now, you wouldn't be able to pry it from my cold, dead device. Thanks to Bitwarden for sponsoring this episode of DLN Extend. Well, Matt, now that we're done ruffling feathers again, what's something that we can bring us to a more happy place? I know you're doing some gaming. I see something about is becoming human. <laughs> something some would say I am not. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the game is called Detroit Become Human. And well, insert Detroit joke here. There's nothing to joke about with Detroit. <laughs> I'm kidding. That was a joke in and of itself. This particular game, ironically, is kind of like an interactive movie, choose your own adventure kind of deal. It's a lot of QTE-based quote-unquote gameplay. QTEs are quick time events, you know, push button here kind of deal. Mm. The path to get there is the game has different fail states and different endings. So every playthrough is not always going to be the same depending on like certain things of what you did and what you didn't do and that kind of stuff. Choice consequence kind of system. Example, like you play three different characters, they're androids who achieve sentience and all that kind of stuff. The whole debate about do they become human or human-like? Do they usurp their creators and all that kind of stuff? It's actually much better than I'm making it out to be in that regard. All the main characters can die. That is one ending state of the game. Everyone's dead. Mm. Another one is you play three different characters, the leader of the android revolution, quote unquote, and then you also play kind of two members that are polar opposites, one that is fighting with their, are they more than human or are they just a machine, kind of like Data on a Star Trek kind of deal. Well, they answered that question in Star Trek. Yes, in, the- in a not so violent way. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> and then you also play like a potential android family, I guess is probably the best way to describe that. Their plight to go to a freer society that will accept them. It's very interesting. It's by David Cage. So some people might know who that is. Some people might not. It's the guy who did a game called Fahrenheit. There was also uh, Heavy Rain and they also did Beyond Two Souls, which were all of similar gameplay styles. If you're into very story focused games with not a lot of gameplay, if you view interactive movies, call it kind of whatever you want. That's really what this game is. But I really do like the fact that every playthrough can be totally different for everybody. What you might get and I might get two totally different scenarios. Well, the question I would have is, are these Androids developed with open source software or is it? Never mind. Of the games that you've recommended, this is definitely one of those games that has a little bit higher resources needed, especially as they're recommended. But it looks graphically beautifully done. Very intricate, very detailed. Uh, Yes, this this is, I believe, what, 1070 is a minimum, if I remember correctly. They're recommended. It's not a lightweight game by any means. It comes in at about 55 gigs. Mm. Mm-hmm. Ironically, this is actually a PS4 game originally. Then it came to the PC, Epic Store exclusive, and then it was recently put out on Steam not that long ago. So as of this recording, it's on sale for $27.99. You can find it cheaper. I'll let you determine where. And it runs in Linux okay? I have it running using the Heroic Launcher, which is the Epic Game Store launcher on Linux. I have it running on a 1060, and I haven't had any issues with it. Runs fine, boots fine. I can only go by my experience, and it says it's good. Proton DB might have some tweaks and stuff. I haven't really looked just because I'm not using Steam per se to actually use it as a launch game on it. To recommended 12 gigabytes of RAM. That seems a, like a lot for a game. I don't know. I'm not the one to talk about There's on that. There's a lot of graphics loading in this one. And you yeah. probably were at story based. There's probably some of the stuff that is running, saving in the background, preparing for what you choose. Yeah. So each chapter scenario, as you make choices throughout it, it kind of snapshots in certain spots as you 
you go down. You can almost consider it like ZFS and hate. Oh, okay. Or better FS. Or better FS. Same difference. It'll take snapshots <laughs> of like the state of that chapter as you play along in it. I'm assuming that's probably why the RAM requirements are high. Could be. Well, it looks really neat. I will say that for sure. Probably not a game that's in my wheelhouse, it's I would say. It's too new. It's too new. Maybe in about 20 years, I'd be ready for it. No, I'm kidding. Not, probably not that long. It does look very interesting. I don't think I have any machines that would run it well. Actually, I have one machine that would run it quite well. I have no problem. I'm assuming that's your AMD system, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. It doesn't require what they say for the CPUs. <laughs> So not going to lie there because I have that running on a second gen i7 and <laughs> lies. Well, they give i5s, but they don't give i7. I don't understand it. The system requirement recommendation doesn't seem clear. So there is the official minimum and then there's the recommended minimum. So you can go lower. That'll give the recommended experience that you're going to want playing PC. The minimum is just like, it'll run, kind of. <laughs> you can get through the game, but it may not be the best experience, but you can play it. It'll be like a game at 720p, 30 frames kind of deal. Yeah. It's like saying you can race a Ford Fiesta. It's not going to be the best experience, but you can do that. Yes, exactly. That is the best comparison I've heard in a while, mate. Wendy, what has been going on with you? I actually have a little bit of stuff going on, and I'm extremely excited to say the last shipment of laptops have arrived at my house. It arrived just before we started recording, so I haven't even got to open them yet, but we are fully stocked and ready to rock and roll for class this fall. Thank you guys so much. I'm super excited. Extra special thanks to Bill for shipping me all of those laptops and getting them out so quickly. Most of them come with the built-in pen and the pens work on the screen. So there is so much that I can do with the laptops that were sent. Now on to not school-related stuff because thankfully the school year is winding down. We are pretty much done with all of that. Yay! And I have two monitors back. So the one is still my TV, but I have my main monitor set up on my desk. If you were listening last week, it isn't on the monitor stand yet. It's on a piece of foam core and just sitting on the desk at the moment, but I have missed having two screens so much. Oh my gosh, I've missed having two screens. So my main one, the nice one, the one that has good color accuracy is a 32 inch curved monitor. And then the second one that I'm using, the one that I had been using now for a little bit during this desk transition is a 32 inch TV. So I have two 32 inch monitors, quote unquote, side by side. Man, I've missed having all of this space. Am I still using multiple workspaces? Absolutely, but I can have more on the screen at the exact same time. So I'll give you an example of how this went just this week. I was doing editing for the show at the same time I was trying to get some stuff uploaded for school-related things. Desktop one was show-related stuff. Desktop two was school-related stuff. And as one thing was done and I could pop back and forth between the two, plus I had all kinds of stuff on both monitors at the same time. There is just no more efficient workflow than multi-monitors and multiple workspaces at the same time. I have no idea how I was surviving on just one for a while. I am taking a little bit of a performance hit when it comes to some game-related stuff. 
I don't care. I really don't care. I'm glad to have two monitors back. I can't function with one monitor, it seems, anymore. Like, I'm kind of spoiled now. Two monitors, it will have to be pretty much... Minimum. Forever at this point. Yeah, absolutely. There's just no way to get around. You can. I can survive with one monitor, but it is painful. I was going to say, you can survive with one monitor because you showed you that you could. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've showed that I could. I could survive with zero monitors too, but it's really hard reading that Braille thing. <laughs> I mean, it's just not working for me. I got nothing. And the last thing that I've been up to is my Humble Bundle games for May is finally available for me to download them. And this is one of the few months that there was actually some games that I wanted to play, some that are more my style with the puzzle-esque. One of the ones that I downloaded today before we recorded the show is Size Matters. I've seen this game played before. It looks frustrating and fun all at the same time. I will give you feedback on that next week. Frustrating and fun? Those go together? Yes, because you are a scientist that has quote unquote accidentally drinking something you shouldn't and you're now shrinking. So you have to stop the shrinking before you are too small to fix the problem. Frustrating and fun. All wrapped into one. I know you've been incredibly busy, Nate, but have you had time for anything a little more fun than housework lately? Well, in fact, I did. Some time ago, maybe last week and the week before, or maybe once, I can't recall, about this Pymega project. It's a Raspberry Pi Amiga. I got some information a little bit wrong. What's fun is, as I've been learning and digging into a little bit more and how the Amiga side interacts with the Linux side or underneath it, I thought it was running the Amiga Workbench when in fact it is not it's actually running based on the classic workbench. It's called Scalus. It's a workbench replacement. You know, it doesn't have the limitations that you would have of trying to run the classic workbench. And so I started documenting everything. I contacted the guy who runs this PyMega project. He just does it just to do it. It's Chris Edwards. And I started like consolidating all the information because it wasn't like one place you could go to find the information. There's like his videos and there's someone else did some little bits on it. Someone else has blogged on it, but there's nothing really cohesive about the information. I started pulling the information together. Basically, I created a page on cubiclenate.com slash PyMega that kind of goes through and walks you step by step through it. I'm not done with the page at all. It's still under construction. I'm verifying all my directions based on his readme and so forth. I have like a playlist now of just some different videos about it and so forth on YouTube as well. Just a playlist I put together for people to to try and make it simple. He's like, hey, great. Thanks. I appreciate you doing that. I want nothing to do with web design. I have no time for that. And so I'm going to continue to consolidate other stuff. Also, when he's ready for version two of the project, he's actually let me be a tester for it as well, saying that's fun. Kind of sort of just got involved a little bit in a way that I could and helping with documentation and whatnot. I've only had like a few, maybe a couple hours in the last week of it actually been able to put collectively. So it's like a few minutes here, a few minutes there. I'm excited to see how this project progresses. That is a really awesome way to get involved in a project that you found that it brings back one of your loves. The Pi and the Amiga. Combining my loves. Merges two loves <laughs> together. The Pi and the Amiga. There's other things too I'm trying to learn to understand. I want to see if I can actually run a, maybe I can, and I just haven't read that far. I actually haven't had the time to do it, but I have a three and a half inch USB floppy drive. I want to see if, if I can write Amiga format floppy disks on it so I can use them on the Amiga from the Pi Amiga. I'm not there yet. Probably easier if I just use the compact flash card reader on the Amiga that I do have. That might be easier. Or install a USB thing on there, uh, some sort of an adapter. That's a little more expensive. Three and a half? You're not going to go all the way to the five well, inch? Well, Amiga doesn't have the five and a quarter. They only have three and a half inch. Amiga came later in the 80s, not in the early 80s. Yeah, it's all three and a half inch there. The new standard, you know, the new the standard. The new standard. Heck, the first <laughs> computer that I used in the 90s had the five inch. The five and a quarter has its place. Using it as a fan to keep you cool when it's a little bit humid out. I'm really sad. 
sad that all those discs got thrown away or whatever happened to them over the years. I would love to have them just to show my children. My kids get a kick out of it. When I show them an SD card that has like a 128 gigabyte SD card and I say, see these discs? You would need thousands upon thousands of these just to fill that up. Like, really? Wow. (laughs) Yeah. The technology differences in not that long. Speed in which we've progressed over the last 30 years is really pretty astounding when you look at the 30 years prior as far as technological advancements. In all different kinds of things. My husband and I were talking about this last night. Mixtapes were a bigger thing for him than they were for me. It was more the mixed CDs for me. And then my kids know absolutely nothing about mixtapes, mixed CDs. It's all about the curated playlists that they design perfectly for themselves. In some ways, I'm kind of glad that they have a little more choice in which music they listen to. Because most of my kids, not just my oldest, but most of my kids actually listen to a lot of video game related music. There's no way to get that off the radio. OCRemix.org. We'd like to continue this discussion with you on Telegram and Discourse Mumble or Discord, visit the DLN website for information on how to connect to the social channels and all of our shows and creators at destinationlinux.network. For more information on me, you can go to cubiclenate.com. Links to my regular written blatherings, podcast, and YouTube channel can be found there. And you can find my random ramblings on Twitter and tell me how wrong I am at MattDLN. Very. You can find me on Mastodon at WendyDLN at Mastodon.com. Be sure to check out the DLN merch store. Grab yourself some awesome DLN Extend swag, along with stuff from across the network. I started a thread over on the discourse forums asking you guys what you thought about our live show. Whether you caught it live or you've listened to the officially released version, we want to know what you think. So stop by and leave us a note. As always, we thank you for joining us. We'll be back next week with another fantastic episode of DLN Extend. Until then, have a great week, everyone. I don't know if I'd want to upset Magneto. I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm surprised you didn't say like a Ford Pinto that caught on fire. <laughs> I would assume you would have thermal throttling going on in your computer before something like that would happen. Trying to keep it you accurate. Hope. I lost my train of thought that I was going to make for a shift. Thanks, Nate. Hey, you're welcome. I'm here for you, babe. That's staying in. <laughs> <laughs> I got nothing on that one. <laughs> As soon as she said that, it takes me to that scene in Shaun of the Dead where, uh, you know the one I'm talking about, yeah. right? He's not yeah. my boyfriend. Here's a beer. It's for him. Thanks, babe. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, Simon uh-huh. Pegg. I love him. Speaking of music, total side tangent on Sunday, a rabbit hole because of Michael and the DLN Matrix group. And I found a Commodore 64 SID release of the Men Without Hats. Was it Men Without Hats? Yes. Pop Goes the World. And I've played it so many times now on the Commodore 64. It was a disc image I could load on it. And I laugh so hard every time I hear it. I don't know why it's not like it's funny. I just, it's just so much fun to listen to. I found on YouTube and eventually I found the actual original Sid creation of it. I think that was My daughter's cool. actually started creating songs in Minecraft with Redstone. I vaguely know what that means. She's explained it to me a little bit. There is music everywhere in all different forms, old and new. No, I just learned yesterday, last night in fact,
fact, about how you can listen to music in Minecraft. And I only found it because my oldest, he said he had, what, he tell me what you need to, to make a disc, to craft a disc and a disc player. Actually, I said, so what, what do you need to do to craft a disc player? And he says, oh, well, what we need is, I'm like, wait a minute, <laughs> wait. what? I mean, like a CD? <laughs> and he goes, yeah, yeah, you can do that. Really? Huh. I had no CDs idea. CDs are still Learned something a thing every day. in Minecraft. That's right. And that's one thing I'm going to pat on the back of the creators of Minecraft or the maintainers of Minecraft now, that they add a little nostalgia into their blocky world. <laughs> well, I mean, really, it's a pixelated game. So you'd expect some of that, though too bad it's not, um, oh, what's the media I'm looking for? An 8-track. Mm, that would have been cooler, yeah. Or even a cassette tape would be yes. cool too. Well, you know, actually, think about it. It could be a laser disc, not a CD. Yeah. Just saying. Nia, I gotta ask: Are you a laser disc collector? No, I don't have a single laser disc or a laser disc player. I don't have any of that. I'm not a media collector, really. Well, no, well, I figured you'd have at least you know one because you're a tech collector. So. <laughs> but I never experienced laser disc outside of one real vague memory in the middle school age. Sometime I, it's fuzzy, but I remember seeing like this giant CD thing. Yeah, that's pretty much. And one. that was I never actually touched one. I never I never actually interacted with one ever outside of like watching Techmoan see what he does with it or something like that. I've never actually experienced a laser disc. I've never touched one even. We'd probably have to reference and, and, and Jill's really collection to actually get our hands on one because there's a good possibility probably. she's got one. More than likely. There's an arcade machine that used laser disc in the 80s for uh, kind of like story-based video gaming. Oh, Dragon's That's Lair. That's the conversation we can have. Yeah, Dragon's Lair. There was another one too. It was actually better according to some people and I can't remember where I was listening to that. It was a podcast or something on retro video games listening to. Yeah, that was a neat technology. See, there. I'm a kid of the '80s. <laughs> I know you. I are. was late to the Old '80s, man. so I'm more a kid of the '90s. <laughs> I graduated in 2002, so like I'm more of a '90s kid than a '80s kid. But yeah, like, I remember the portions of the '80s. Well, then I'm the oldest man here. I'm, I graduated in '99. Old man. My husband graduated in '97. Hey, we would have gone to high school together. And then I graduated in 2004. I think that's when my sister graduated. Was 2004 or three. I don't remember now. We're seven years apart. And so it's one of those things that like there are some similarities, but at the same time, there's just enough of a difference. It's like, well, that wasn't around when I was in high school or. Yeah, because you would have been at the start of burning your own CDs, DVD, uh, DVDs being mainstream mm-hmm. and MP3 players becoming a thing. Yeah, the iPod was super popular. That's when kids were starting to have their own phones at school and T9 texting was watching some of those fingers fly. (laughs) Yeah. That's funny. Never again with T9. Never again. Thank the Lord. And my husband reminisces about his first phone that was like a brick. He goes, but you could take it anywhere and had excellent service. And you could hit somebody in a pinch. Uh Uh-huh, exactly. I was going to say, that'd be like my current phone. <laughs> it may be a brick, but it's not a Lee brick. Right. <laughs> yes, yes, this one's actually useful. <laughs> it makes calls. The cameras actually work. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, people are like, oh, you give the Pine phone a pass quite often. I'm like, yeah, because they don't claim to be anything other than a development device. <laughs> like, right. That's all they claim. <laughs> they are very open about the fact that it is still in development. It is there for people to use. Stuff may work and stuff may not. And their price, their price compared between the two makes a difference. You don't have to mortgage a house or skip you know, skip a house payment to, to buy a, a Pine phone. Yeah. <laughs> I will literally take the Pine phone every time. <laughs> yes. Just gonna say. Okay, I think we should wrap up. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> oh yeah. We so totally trailed off. 